Hello, Earnings Call listener. My name is Hadi Youssef. I run this earnings season podcast, but I also run the Borster Earnings Call mobile app, and that's what I wanted to quickly tell you about today. We've created a dedicated app for listening to earnings calls. What I mean by that is that we've basically created the Spotify for earnings calls. Our app lets you add any company to your watch list. You can download any earnings call to your phone. You can set notifications for specific companies for when a new call is available. You can also see the exact date of the earnings call. And if there is a company that isn't on our app yet, you can request a company within our app and we will promptly add it. Making earnings calls easy to access is something that I care a lot about. It's why I created this earnings season podcast. But obviously, we cannot add every single earnings call that gets published on this podcast, or else you'll be having hundreds of episodes every week. And so, we've created a dedicated app where you can go and pick and choose the exact earnings calls、uh, you're interested in. And what we post on this earnings season podcast are basically kind of the highlights or the most notable earnings calls. But in the show notes of this episode, I've included a video demonstration where I walk you through all the features that I just described for our app. And I also included the link to the App Store where you can go there and see the description of the app and the reviews. You know, I'm really proud of the feedback we've gotten from our users. And,、uh, you know, pleasing and satisfying our, our users and our customers is, is something that I、uh, take pride in. And, and as a team, we、uh, really pride ourselves on that. And so, I don't want to take more of your time and, and keep you from listening to the earnings calls you've selected today. So, without further ado, here is your earnings call. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Square Second Quarter 2019 earnings conference call. I would now like to turn the call over to your host, Jason Lee, Head of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining our second quarter 2019 earnings call. We have Jack and Amrita with us today. First, we want to remind everyone of the format of our earnings call. We have published a shareholder letter on our investor relations website, which was available shortly after the market closed. We will begin this call with some short remarks before opening the call directly to your questions. During QA, we will take questions from our sellers in addition to questions from conference call participants. In addition to our shareholder letter, we have filed a press release announcing our definitive agreement to sell Caviar, our food ordering platform, to DoorDash. This transaction is subject to certain closing conditions, including regulatory approvals. We would also like to remind everyone that we will be making forward looking statements on this call. Actual results could differ materially from those contemplated by our forward looking statements. Report results should not be considered as an indication of future performance. Please take a look at our filings with the SEC for discussion of the factors that could cause our results to differ. Also, note that the forward looking statements on this call are based on information available to us as of today's date. We disclaim any obligation to update any forward looking statements except as required by law. Also, during this call, we will discuss certain non GAAP financial measures. Reconciliations to the most directly comparable GAAP financial measures are provided in the shareholder letter on our investor relations website. These non GAAP measures are not intended to be a substitute for our GAAP results. Finally, this call in its entirety is being audio webcast on our investor relations website. An audio replay of this call will be available on our website shortly. With that, I'd like to turn over to Jack. Thanks, Jason. Hello, everyone. A few remarks from me before we turn it over to Amrita for some details and then your questions. So, we've been able to accomplish something very few companies have、uh, the creation of not just one, but two incredible customer ecosystems at scale. We started the company by creating and building a seller ecosystem. And we did it again, 
this time for individuals with the Cash App. Along the way, we've seen a lot of opportunity to strengthen both of these ecosystems, but those opportunities require more focus and more investment. To increase our focus, we decided to sell our caviar business to DoorDash. This enables us to focus on serving restaurant and food sellers through a platform approach, specifically our orders API and Square for Restaurants. DoorDash was an obvious choice for us because of our pre-existing partnership through Orders API and Cash App. Both companies have an alignment of interest to strengthen our partnership. This decision will also allow us to increase our investment, specifically in seller. Our initial focus will be on go-to-market investment, inclusive of hardware and sales and marketing. Given our payback periods and ROIs for multiple products within the seller ecosystem, we see compelling opportunities for more growth. The Cash App ecosystem continues to exceed our expectations. In just three years, Cash App revenue from basically $0 to $135 million, excluding Bitcoin. We, we love you, Bitcoin. And we saw 3.5 million customers use Cash Card in June, typically using it to purchase multiple times per week. Our seller and Cash App ecosystems have incredible roadmaps ahead to deliver on our purpose of economic empowerment. And every time we tighten our focus, we get stronger. These moves will enable us to move faster and much better. And with that, turn it over to Amrita for some details. Thanks, Jack. There are four key highlights, which I'd like to call out this quarter. First, we continue to drive impressive revenue growth at scale. Second, we continue to see strong returns on sales and marketing spend and see further opportunity to invest in attractive returns in our seller ecosystem. Third, Cash App has grown rapidly and is now a meaningful contributor to our overall revenue. Fourth, we believe the transaction to sell Caviar will improve our focus and drive greater investment in our seller and cash ecosystems. Let's expand on these points a bit. First, we drove strong revenue growth at scale. Total net revenue grew 44% year over year to $1.17 billion in the second quarter. Adjusted revenue grew 46% year-over-year to $563 million. We saw broad-based momentum across both seller and cash app ecosystems driving our results. As a reminder, we lapped a few events which drove the tougher comp on revenue growth this quarter relative to the first quarter of 2019. We lapped the acquisitions of Weebly and Zesty, which closed in the second quarter of 2018. These acquisitions contributed two points to total net revenue growth and three points to adjusted revenue growth in the quarter. And we also lacked the pricing change on Cash App Instant Deposit. Second, in our seller business, we continued to generate strong return on investment from sales and marketing with further opportunity to scale at attractive returns. We have seen payback period trend towards three quarters with continued positive revenue retention. This results in a three to four X return on investment for a new seller cohort within three years of onboarding. In April, we launched a marketing campaign to increase brand awareness for Square's ecosystem of products to help sellers manage and grow their business. We are encouraged by early returns from this campaign, including improved top of funnel metrics around awareness, which has led to growth in signups. Third, our Cash App ecosystem has driven meaningful monetization and attractive unit economics we see strong momentum and durability across three key vectors, the network, engagement, and monetization. 
Cash App delivered $135 million in quarterly revenue excluding Bitcoin. While we are improving the efficiency of our cash ecosystem, we continue to invest given the rapid growth of the platform and compelling unit economics. What we see is one, low and stable acquisition costs for new customers, even as we scale into mainstream populations, and two, greater engagement and monetization per active customer across multiple revenue streams, driven by increased attach rates on key products that provide daily utility. And as we launch new features, we see further opportunities to cross-sell into large and growing, into our large and growing customer base with minimal incremental acquisition costs. Finally, we have entered into an agreement to sell Caviar, which will allow for improved focus and greater investment in our seller and cash ecosystems, where we have seen attractive returns. With the pending sale of Caviar, we are maintaining our full year 2019 guidance for 43% adjusted revenue growth year over year and 60% adjusted EBITDA growth year over year at the midpoints. We will update our guidance after the close of the transaction. Similar to prior quarters, we intend to reinvest outperformance back into the business to capture the long-term opportunities ahead of us. We expect most of our incremental seller ecosystem sales and marketing expenses to land in Q3 and the early part of Q4 when we know businesses make decisions and spend can be more effective prior to the holidays. We expect these investments to benefit us and drive growth in the future. I'll now turn it back to the operator to start the Q&A portion of the call. And at this time, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Again, that is star 1 to ask a question. We ask that you limit yourself to one question. Pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of Darren Peller with Wolf Research. Hey guys, uh, thanks for taking my question. Listen, I just want to start off on the Cash App, just giving you guys more data points around uh, how much is being monetized, and maybe start off if you could help us understand the curve of, and the maturity of that monetization. Is it 20? I mean, you talked about Cash Card being at about 23% um, of the actual Cash App users. Where is that? Is that something that can proceed much higher from here? Um, and then maybe you could help us understand the breakdown of revenue across the cash app between the different sources you highlighted, whether it's the cash card or others. Clearly seems like it's growing well. Just curious to know how much, how much room it has. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for the question. Um, so we are very pleased with the performance that we've seen from the cash app team. They're focused, focused first and foremost on growing the network and growing engagement and daily utility on cash app. And we believe and we've seen that lead to monetization. And this cash app has scaled from negligible revenues three years ago to now an annualized rate of over half a billion dollars in revenues. So we can unpack that a little bit for you. Um, I think you were asking specifically about how the opportunities with cash card and the ability to grow that attach rate and those revenues associated with cash card over time. Maybe if you take it back right. one step and look at overall monetization for Cash App, you know, two years ago when we were very early in the life of monetization of Cash App, we disclosed, I think this was in the second quarter of 2017, that over one-third of users monetized, and that was pre-Cash Card. Now we've seen significant growth in that number with the addition of these new monetization and engagement levers like Cash Card, like Bitcoin, and a number of other levers. With Cash Card in particular, we disclosed the 3.5 million actives. 
we continue to see growing attach rate for cash card from period to period, and we think we're in the early days of that. We're also seeing really strong metrics around usage and engagement with multiple transactions in a given week for everyday purchases. Um, so this is a really great proof point for us around customer engagement and driving retention and opportunities for cross-sell into this large and growing audience um, into the future. In terms of just, uh, I think the last part of your question was around breaking down revenues for Cash App. We have yeah. half a dozen yeah, revenue streams, and we believe that we are in the very early days of that. The two biggest are around instant deposit and cash card, and we've got four other growing revenue streams. And given we're in the early days and this team has demonstrated strong product velocity, we envision many more into the future. All right. Thanks, guys. Your next question comes from the line of Brian Keene with Deutsche Bank. Hi, I just want to ask about Caviar, if we could get any sense of revenue or EBITDA. I'm, I'm guessing the EBITDA margin for Caviar is lower than the overall um, company average. So trying to think about that and maybe the growth rate of those of revenue and EBITDA, how fast is it, how fast is it growing? And then if we're, if we're going to reinvest those proceeds, where exactly inside of Cash App are we thinking about reinvesting those? Thanks so much. Thanks for the question, Brian. So let me help you break it down a little bit on Caviar. Uh, we'll be able to share a lot more with the relevant financial statements, including and excluding Caviar upon the close of the transaction, um, expected to happen later this year. But just to give you um, a little bit of boundaries as, as you kind of model the business, from a revenue scale perspective, perspective, Caviar is the second largest component of our subscription and services revenue stream where we did $251 million in revenue in the second quarter. We've now disclosed to you revenues for Cash App, the vast, which was the number one driver of our subscription and services revenue stream. Capital is the third. So you can kind of benchmark within there uh, backing into uh, a figure within range for Caviar. From a margin perspective, as a delivery platform, Caviar um, has lower gro uh, lower gross margin profile than the remainder of our revenue streams related to subscription and services. You know, there are ongoing costs associated with Caviar, including fees for couriers and the revenue share with restaurants um, that have made it the largest component of subscription and services-based costs. Um, but again, we will update you on um, in the future upon the closing of the transaction on, on further details there. And then... And, and on, in terms of the reinvestment of proceeds, you mentioned Cash App. Um, Cash App has pretty amazing uh, network effects right now, uh, and we, we benefit a lot from them. So a lot of our focus uh, as we think about these two ecosystems between seller and, and cash is going to be on go-to-market and seller. Um, we, we think there's a, there's a lot of opportunity uh, based on our payback periods and uh, return on investment within multiple products within the seller ecosystem. And that will be inclusive of uh, hardware, uh, but also uh, more we can do with with sales and marketing. So, uh, as we've as we've been uh, looking at the business and uh, looking at a new world where we do have the ability to focus on just two ecosystems instead of instead of three, um, we're we're really uh, we're really compelled by a, a number of the opportunities on the seller side uh, and continuing to uh, build out more and more of the cash app roadmap, uh, which continues to address some critical needs. That people have in access accessing the financial system. 
All right, very helpful. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Tianjin Wang with J.P. Morgan. Thanks. Good afternoon. Just wanted to ask on, on GPV and your plans to invest more in the salary ecosystem, like you just said. I know GPV growth in percentage terms gets a lot of attention, but you're still adding a record notional amount of GPV, if I'm doing the math right. So my question is, do you feel confident that you can keep adding, whatever, $5 billion on volume uh, a quarter, and can that actually accelerate with the salary ecosystem investments that, that you're talking about? Thanks. Thanks for the question, Tinjin. Um, you know, we are focused with these investments on driving both top of funnel through awareness and activations along with cross-sell across the ecosystem. GPV picks up one piece of one ecosystem. You know, it picks up primarily a payments piece of the seller ecosystem. Keep in mind as people think about GPV that we don't include things like Cash App GPV in this figure, and we also don't include um, the other revenue streams around subscription and services is a part of GPV, which is why we as a company manage the business to our revenues, and we think about revenue growth when we're driving investments. Um, revenue grew 46% in the quarter, and that fully adjusted revenue grew 46% in the quarter to $563 million. That really captures the full breadth and value of the ecosystem. Within GPV, some of the pockets of growth that we've seen that we're very encouraged by include around um, our larger sellers who now are more than half of our GPV mix, mid-market sellers, which are the largest sellers that we serve with over half a million dollars in GPV, also grew and actually grew at the fastest rate, which was 45% year over year. Um, and we believe we have multiple levers of growth ahead on GPV, including across the rest of the business. Um, and a lot of that is related to some of the newer payment channels that we've developed that are growing faster than the base GPV amount. So think about things like our vertical point of sale offerings around retail and restaurants, our developer platform, and omni-channel products. But again, I would anchor you to thinking about the overall revenue growth for our business as that captures the breadth of offerings that we have for our sellers and um, individual customers. Got it. Understood. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Dan Dolov with Nomura. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Just a quick housekeeping question. The Eventbrite, is that included in GPV for this quarter? Thanks for the question, Dan. Um, Eventbrite is still in testing phase, so I wouldn't think of that as a material contributor to GPV in the second quarter. Uh, we are work, hard at work on building out a long-term solution, omni-channel solution for Eventbrite, um, and expect to launch in the back half of this year. Got it. And then maybe a question for you and, and maybe for Jack, too. I mean, we've been getting, we've been doing a lot of work on the cash, uh, cash app and the ecosystem, but can you maybe give us, like, one concrete example, Jack, of how the ecosystem kind of helps you get both sides of the transaction, both the, the sellers and the consumers, which which I believe is sort of the the holy grail of this whole thing. I agree with you. Um, we, you know, we, we, we do see a, a lot of opportunity there. Like, so, so our first focus is to build, you know, the individual ecosystems, the seller ecosystem and the cash app ecosystem. There's a lot of strength and um, both ecosystems are addressing um, critical needs. So, you know, within seller, it's 
payments and register and capital and appointments and square for restaurants and square for retail and, and whatnot. In our developer platform on the cash side, uh, it's everything from the from you know peer to peer to the cash card uh, to Bitcoin to um, inst- instant deposit to um, uh, a host of uh, a host of other services that, that help people on a on a daily basis, like uh, direct deposit as well. So we have seen some crossover um, between these two ecosystems, and we do think that there's a lot a lot of power in connecting them. Um, we have been paying some of our payroll uh, customers uh, through the Cash App, uh, which is beneficial to both the seller and the Cash App ecosystem. Uh, some time ago, we started paying Caviar Couriers uh, through the Cash App, which is beneficial to um, Caviar and, and soon to be the, the DoorDash ecosystem um, and also the Cash uh, App ecosystem. And we have been doing more and more um, uh, consideration around uh, Boost uh, as well and where that fits into to that, to that uh, ecosystem as well. So we do believe there's a ton of connections between these two. Um, and some of this, uh, you know, focus and investment will definitely be answering that question, making those connections much, much stronger. And again, we ask that you limit yourself to one question. Your next question comes from the line of Jason Kupferberg from Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Hey, guys. Um, so you did, uh, as we've become accustomed to seeing, you did beat the high end of your revenue guidance uh, for the second quarter here. Now, typically, historically, that's been accompanied by a raise in your annual revenue guidance. Um, We did not see that this quarter, so just wanted to get an understanding of uh, what the thought process is around uh, the second half and and where uh, you may have a little bit of uncertainty slash caution, uh, perhaps, that might have led you to decide to, to not change the, the full-year outlook despite another very strong quarterly performance. Hey, Jason, thanks for the question. Um, hey, so with respect to the revenue, with respect to the revenue raise, um, I'd urge you to remember that this quarter we've announced the transaction uh, with Caviar. And so we uh, will update you post the closing of this transaction, which we'd expect to happen later this year with respect to um, guidance for the rest of the year. Um, Also remember, we raised guidance last quarter by $30 million or two points of growth, um, which was obviously more than the beat that we had last quarter. And and finally, you know, recall that, of course, we're we're driving uh, growth for the long term. And so the investments that we're making in the back half of this year, we expect to um, drive growth for us into the future. Your next question comes from the line of Pete Christensen with Citi. Thank you for taking my question. Um, Jack, can you – I appreciate the refocus – into the core the core ecosystem here, um, but can you give us a sense at least the, the competition seems to be getting tougher uh, with, with other cloud POS players, but on the seller side, um, is is this more of a response to to things like that, and and perhaps maybe you can at least qualitatively uh, give us a sense of how retention is holding up in the seller channel. Thank you. Yeah, I'll take the first part, and Amrita um, will, will answer the second. Um, 
We, uh, I mean, really, this is this is not looking externally. This is looking internally. We we just see a ton of opportunity based on our uh, the strength of our payback periods and the return on investment of uh, multiple products within the seller ecosystem, particularly. And we think, um, you know, just doing some uh, small things uh, like a focus on go-to-market through hardware and also through um, sales and marketing will have uh, very, very good uh, outcomes. So we want to pull the thread on that. Um, And we we do believe that the, you know, the, the, the thing that still sets us apart from all of our competitors is the cohesiveness of our ecosystem. Uh, the fact that I can come in for one tool and see an array of other tools that will help um, with your second question, which is around retention. Uh, We do have a number of sellers who use multiple products uh, at once and um, find, um, you know, the the ability to just download one app and suddenly you have an an entire universe of tools to solve all the critical needs that that one would have uh, right there is very compelling, very easy, and very fast, and, and something that continues to be um, a competitive differentiator for us. So we now get the opportunity to really focus on these two ecosystems, um, and we see a lot of opportunity within Seller. We continue to um, beat our expectations within cash. Both, um, both ecosystems have uh, some incredible roadmaps ahead, uh, and especially for this year, which I'm really excited about. Um, which bring both to a significant strength. But as a previous caller indicated, we, we think there's even more opportunity in connecting the two and having a positive reinforcement cycle between those, those two ecosystems. So this really allows us to, to focus on um, two critical constituencies um, that uh, I think strengthens uh, both ecosystems and, and adds a lot of value to the company. And Pete, I'll just add to the retention point. You know, the last time we shared a full deep dive with you about our seller business back at an investor day two years ago, we talked a lot about paybacks and ROI and retention. And if you look at how the business has evolved since then, the dynamics in our seller ecosystem remain largely the same or better. You know, we talked about paybacks at that time in the four quarter range. We're now seeing them trend to the three quarter range. We see return on investment that is also at very significant levels. We see positive revenue retention for our existing cohorts. We see new cohorts joining at higher revenue levels. All of these drivers have led to our seller ecosystem driving a very attractive profitability profile even as the business has scaled. And it's because of that scaled level of profitability, it's because of this strong unit economics, it's because of the strong ROIs that we have the confidence to invest in this business in the back half of this year and into next year. Thank you. Appreciate the caller. Thank you. Your next question comes from line of Jim Schneider with Goldman Sachs. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, with respect to the investments you plan on making on the seller ecosystem, can you maybe just give us a little bit of color about the dimensionality of that in terms of how much of this is about going after new sellers and adding to the total number of sellers, especially larger sellers, and how much of that is about kind of extending the, uh, the ancillary product offerings and additional so- subscriptions and services to the existing base? Thank you. Um, so th- the way we think about this is, is building one tool uh, for um, all types of sellers, all sizes of sellers. 
um, we want to make sure that we're enabling, um, you know, the, the seller who's just getting started on their houseboat all the way up to a seller with 40 locations uh, to be able to sell within, uh, within, uh, within the ecosystem. So our, our focus right now is going to be on um, hardware, um, sales and marketing, uh, and that, that will be continuing to reach out to uh, the very small and, and the very large. Um, and, uh, of course, we're going to balance that with uh, making our product better and better. A big focus for us right now is on the uh, developer's uh, platform and, and the API. Um, we continue to see a lot of benefit from uh, taking a platform approach. This is especially true as we move Caviar to DoorDash. Um, as DoorDash succeeds, uh, we also succeed and our restaurants succeed uh, by using the, the orders uh, API and the orders hub the orders manager um, at their restaurants. So uh, this is something that we, uh, we, we feel very confident in. And Jim, just to add to that, um, some of the sales and marketing efforts that we've already seen uh, this year have um, delivered positive traction. So as an example, our brand marketing campaign in April reached 7 million sellers. And while it's still early, um, that positive early traction um, delivered top of funnel met top of funnel metrics like awareness and conversion for new sellers that we're really encouraged by. When we look at other markets where we've invested in this way with brand awareness in our international markets, those brand awareness campaigns have actually driven greater efficiency in our direct performance marketing spend as well. So I think as Jack mentioned, you'll see us um, lean in on areas like hardware, top of funnel, uh, brand awareness, as well as some of the um, direct performance-related marketing to, to drive the full ecosystem here. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from line of Candace, Candace Cox with Candid Art. Hello, I am a Square seller, and my business is Candid Art from Oakland, California. And my question is, will Square ever offer some classes specific to entrepreneurs that business owners can attend? That is a, that is a great idea. Um, we, uh, and th also thanks, thanks for using Square. We, we have actually um, started a program called Selfmade, which is a series of free night schools. Um, and the first editions were in Atlanta and Pittsburgh. Um, and we do believe we're going to bring this uh, series to Oakland in 2020. So next year we should have uh, some classes for you on social media marketing, setting up a website, online store, and uh, everything you need to to start and run and grow your business. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Harshata Rawat with Bernstein. Hi, good afternoon. Thank you for taking my question. Um, I want to ask about Omnichannel. This has been a push for you since the Weebly acquisition, but it's also a fiercely competitive market, and many of your peers uh, whose business is primarily e-com are now moving in-store. So can you talk about the competitive differentiators in online, how it has evolved, and how is Weebly fitting in there? Yeah, um, so so we we believe that omnichannel is a, a big um, strategic uh, value for us and something that we want to continue to invest in and, and grow. Uh, we believe this because we do have a lot of our sellers offline and online who either want to sell um, online or 
uh, for a lot of uh, online businesses, they're considering uh, more experimental ways of selling like pop-up shops and physical retail. So we want to make sure that we're a place where um, you can come to, you can download an app, open the service up, and uh, everything you need is right there. I think what differentiates us um, is it's not just about e-commerce. Um, it's about all these channels, including mobile, um, so that uh, seller can bring all the channels together from offline, mobile, and online in one place, in one dashboard, and have all the suite of other tools that we offer, including appointments, capital, um, customer relationship management, um, everything needed to, to really grow the business, not just to make sales, but to actually grow the business and provide insights into it. And, and that's what we want to continue to strengthen. Um, and we, we see a lot of opportunity um, in continuing to invest and increasing our investment uh, around uh, online store, omnichannel, uh, in the form of um, sales and marketing, uh, which will complement uh, everything that we're doing around uh, hardware and hardware sales as well. So uh, we, d we do think there's a lot more room for us here, uh, hence why the moves today were so, were so important um, and will benefit, will benefit uh, so much from. Your next question comes from line of James Fawcett with Morgan Stanley. Thank you very much. Um, you guys have talked about uh, increased marketing and, and, and efforts, and obviously a lot of that has been dedicated to, to cash app and expansion of services, but wondering if you can talk about the campaigns that you launched in the UK last year and how effective that was and, and how you're looking at um, expanding marketing efforts international, interna to the international markets you've identified versus in the US. Thanks. Yeah, so um, in the UK, uh, this continues to be a, a focus for us, and we want to make sure that we uh, we have a remarkable product within the market. Um, we have been investing in brand campaigns um, in the UK, uh, and this has driven efficient customer acquisition with uh, the cost to acquire a new seller down by over 50% compared to prior year. So we are, you know, we are learning as quickly as possible, um, and as as you know, we are not first to the market in the UK. But we, uh, we strive to be the best, uh, and we strive to continue to bring more and more of our ecosystem to the market. Um, we, we've managed to launch multiple products at once within the UK, which was a huge milestone for us, and uh, we'll continue to look for opportunities um, to showcase the uniqueness of the UK market and everything that's happening within the UK um, through marketing and also through earned media, uh, which continues to create a flywheel where more and more people are aware of Square. Uh, and and utilizing it. And just add, James, to add on the international expansion part of your question, um, you know our approach to international markets is step one: make sure that we have a full suite of products and fill in any gaps that we see there. Step two: to drive brand awareness campaigns so that people understand Square and the full breadth of our ecosystem. And step three: to uh, drive greater performance media to drive conversion. So we're still in that ramp, uh, but with some of the um, uh, product offerings that we released earlier this year and with things to come, you'll see us continue to fill in uh, product gaps internationally, have a full suite of, of offerings internationally, and, and lean in, therefore, to sales and marketing increasingly. Thank you very much. Thank you. Your next question comes from online of Ramsey L. Assault with Barclays. Hi, thanks for taking my question. Um, 
I wanted to ask about your distribution model in international markets and how it's evolving. Are you, you know, does it look and smell different in these different markets? Is it, um, you know, more partnerships in some and more direct sales in other? And just a, a quick bolt onto that question. I was just wondering if the Q3 guidance uh, was impacted by any changes in your, your expectations around when Eventbrite would roll out. <clears throat> yeah, thanks for the question. So I, I think, you know, every, every market is going to be unique and, um, you know, Japan is a really good example of this, where uh, we feel very confident now in in our success in the country because we have a lot of tailwinds from the government, who is providing subsidies um, for both sellers and buyers to shift to digital and card payments. Um, we have a number of events uh, coming up in in Tokyo uh, that bolster the uh, number of global travelers into uh, into Tokyo. We're expecting to use cards um, at every merchant that they go to within the city and within the country. So um, that has uh, required a very different approach from uh, what we have seen in the UK and what we've seen in Australia. Uh, so each one is going to be slightly different. And um, we, we have folks on the ground uh, who are aware of what the best channels are within each, each market. Um, and uh, in, in some cases, it is more direct sale. In some cases, it is more, more partnership. So we, we just want to be flexible and agile uh, as we, as we uh, approach um, every market. And, Ramsey, with respect to your question on guidance, um, it does contemplate uh, the beginning of the ramp-up and the rollout of Eventbrite in the back half of the year. Okay. Thanks so much. Your next question comes from the line of George Mahalos with Cowan and Company. Great, thanks. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Just wanted to ask on the on the net transaction yield that came in a little bit lower than what we were uh, what we were looking for and down a little bit year over year. Is that as simple as the mix toward uh, larger merchant, or is there anything else we should be thinking about um, in the quarter and going forward? Hey, George, yeah, you got it. Uh, transaction margin was 1.06% of GPV in the second quarter, which is down two po uh, basis points year over year. Um, it was, you know, as, as expected, uh, we discussed this back last quarter that we expect transaction margins to come down slightly throughout the year as we continue to grow with larger sellers. Um, and, you know, because of that, transaction margins are not a metric we use in isolation to measure success. We really orient, again, towards revenue. Um, and absolute dollars of revenue, along with um, these efficiency metrics that we look at, overall payback periods, revenue retention, et cetera, which help us focus on the growth of the overall ecosystem along with cross-sell opportunities. Your next question comes from the line of Lisa Ellis with Moffitt Nathanson. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my question. A, a follow-up from me on the uh, sales and marketing investments in the seller ecosystem. As you move up market and as you called out, an increasing amount of your business is coming from, you know, greater than 500K or the 125 to 500K. A lot of the competitors in that space heavily use channels like direct sales or ISVs or bank channels. As you're investing in your, your go-to-market model up there, you know, how do you think about some of those channels? Like what sort of squares view on your uh, go-to-market strategy, your channel strategy um, in the upper market. Thank you. 
Um, so, so when you say up market, you mean larger sellers? Just to be clear. Larger, yeah, larger sellers. Sorry, L like greater than 500, or even in the upper end of the 125 to 500. Yeah. So um, we we have a we we've seen a pretty unique dynamic. Um, I'll just point you to uh, Square for Restaurants and, and Square for Retail, where we we saw that uh, it is attracting uh, a number of larger sellers. And what what's interesting and really compelling is that the majority of them. Um, over 70, 80% are self-serving into, um, uh, into the app and into the service. So self-serve is important because it means that we have uh, enabled people to um, – we've built an intuitive interface where they don't need uh, a call, where they don't need help, um, and they can just uh, go uh, right away. And if we can make larger sellers um, – uh, approach Square as smaller sellers do, who just you know go to the app store and and and, and get it done. Um, that's a really scalable model. And then sales and marketing um, and uh, a lot of our account management uh, really becomes an opportunity for us to cross sell and to show uh, other tools uh, within the ecosystem that uh, that seller can use. So we've we've benefited a lot from just having a really fast, easy, elegant, and accessible product um, that a seller of any size can can uh, can utilize. Um, and uh, we 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 will always be open to other models, um, but we have we think we have a lot of room to strengthen the the, the one that we have. And Lisa, just to, to add to that, you know, in particular, when we look at our um, sales approach, looking at, at our seller sales and marketing spend, we see um, strong returns and an opportunity to invest efficiently. Our sales and account management teams have had high returns on investment comparable to the overall return that we've already shared with you on sales and marketing, which is already attractive. Um, so, you know, we know that this team is t often touching uh, upmarket sellers, those larger sellers, um, and sometimes have higher acquisition costs, but because of the higher lifetime value of those customers, um, we see, um, you know, strong returns on those investments with our sales team and an opportunity to invest further. Terrific. Thank you. Thanks. Your next question comes from a line of Josh Beck with KeyBank. Yeah, thanks for uh, taking the question. You know, I noticed some of the uh, boost commentary in the letter calling out things like customer acquisition, frequency, uh, ticket sizes. You know, I think those are all really important elements uh, for restaurants. So you have DoorDash, and I think that's a really encouraging uh, leading signal. But when you think about maybe the, the tenor of, of conversations with other potential partners? Could you maybe give us a, a sense and maybe some type of um, timeline for how long it takes to attract others? Is it quarters? Is it multi-year effort? Um, that would be really helpful. Thank you. Thank you, Josh. Um, we're, uh, we're super happy with, uh, with what Boost has been doing. So as you know, we, we started this with a, a very controlled approach where um, we, uh, we took it upon ourselves uh, to create Boost and, and to learn as quickly as possible, continue to add uh, features and functionality to the Boost um, that allow more and more opportunities uh, for ourselves, but also with partners. And we, we do see a, a, a very compelling horizon uh, with, with partners in particular. 
um, we've we've had a lot of interest. Um, and again, we want to take on a mindset of making sure that we're running really controlled experiments so we're creating value for both parties um, and our customers. Um, the, one of the sole um, value propositions for the Boost program is the fact that a lot of the people that we're serving have never had access to a rewards program, and certainly one that um, uh, isn't, uh, is as is, is easy and as simple and as uh, straightforward as, as what we, we've done with Boost. So we want to make sure that we have a very high bar for our partnerships and that we're optimizing for learning when that comes through a lot of experimentation. Uh, and we, uh, we're, we're matching uh, the transactions with uh, uh, brands and, and companies and sellers that our customers love uh, and, and would be delighted to, to utilize. So um, that's kind of the, the thesis um, around it. But we have received a lot of interest. Um, and uh, as you might have seen, uh, on Twitter, we are hiring um, lead roles uh, for this uh, for the sales function, uh, but we 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 definitely expect this to be um, uh, full with a, a lot of opportunities for partnership down the line and uh, a really interesting business. And and Josh, I um, just want to help also on the funding and the economic side of the Boost program, just to clarify. Um, we fund, you know, we have as, as part of the controlled rollout of the program, as Jack was mentioning, have funded a lot of this ourselves, but the costs flow in as contra revenue. So the $135 million that we disclosed this quarter in revenue excluding Bitcoin is already net of any boost costs associated with our cash card program. Um, and as we continue to attract partners as we did with DoorDash this past quarter, but as we continue to attract more, that gives us even more opportunities um, to really strategically fund this program with with other partners and deliver value to our to our customers. Thank you both. Very very helpful. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Stephen Kwok with KBW. Hi, thanks for taking my questions. Uh, I had a quick one around the transaction advance losses. Um, it, it seems like that rate as a percentage of GPV has been taking up a little bit. was wondering, is there anything specific that's causing that, and um, is that the rate that we should use going forward? Sure, happy to help. Um, risk loss was relatively consistent year over year at 6% of adjusted revenue. Um, and this, this line item for us is really driven by volume growth across each of of our seller business, our cash business, and our capital business. And so just to, you know, put a little bit of color on that, you know, seller GPV grew 25% as you saw this past quarter. Cash, uh, we disclosed in the first quarter, cash volumes grew almost 150%. And capital originations grew 36% this past quarter. So we've got strong volume of growth across, um, across the business. And that is obviously what leads into the risk loss, which has stayed consistent year over year at that 6% of adjusted revenue. On, on the seller business, you know, risk loss remains below 0.1% uh, of GPV. And, and on our capital business with CoreFlex loans, loss rates are consistent with historical averages at less than 4%. Got it. That's helpful. Thank you. Thanks. Your last question comes from the line of Brett Huff with Stevens. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking the question. 
quick follow-up on the habituation and usage of the Square Cash App card. Um, I know that Boost is a part of that, but as you think about the economics going forward, do you see yourselves delivering enough incremental value or enough incremental people to a merchant um, to shift the cost of those deals more and more to your partners and less and less coming from Square? And kind of what's the evolution of that so far? Hey, Brett, yeah, happy to help. Um, you know, as, as we shared just a few minutes ago, we're in the early days of the Boost program. Uh, we're about a year in. I think we launched it May of last year, just um, less than a year after the launch of, of the cash card itself. And we continue to, to prove out the value here, not only to consumers where we see a strong incentive through Boost to join uh, into the cash card program where, as Jack said, we believe we have a really unique offering around um, instant rewards for our customers here as a uh, prepaid debit card, um, but also delivering value for uh, merchants. And so we're in the early days of that. And this DoorDash program in this past quarter um, is the, the first milestone, a first proof point towards our ability to drive traffic and drive customers into merchants. Um, and the team continues to innovate here. The cash team continues to be creative and experiment with boosts. Um, there's all sorts of things planned in the roadmap for the future um, at, that we'll be excited to share with you when the time is right. But uh, we're in the very, very early days here, and we're excited. Great. Thanks for the time. And at this time, I'd like to turn the call back to the company for closing remarks. Thank you, everyone, for joining our call. I would like to remind everyone that we will be hosting our third quarter 2019 earnings call on November 6th. Thanks again for participating today. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for participating in today's program. This does conclude the program and you may now disconnect.